Well, it is great to have you with us, and I love celebrating communion together. In fact, if you're watching uh, from home, just uh, encourage you when we celebrate communion together to get your own bread and, uh, and wine and do that with us, because we're, we're a community together, even though we're here in the chapel and out in the tent and uh, those who are watching online. And there's something about communion that fixes your eyes on Jesus, what he's done, what it means, and what we have in him. And that's what we're going to look at today in Hebrews chapter 3, just the power of fixating on something true. You ever looked at something or fixed your gaze on something long enough that it started to affect you? It was a sunrise or sunset, but you took the time to not just walk by, but to kind of take it in. Or maybe you went to a, uh, an art gallery, and instead of just kind of running through and seeing everything, you, you pause for a moment and kind of let one particular painting speak to you, affect you at a deeper level. That's the idea that Hebrews chapter 3 gets at, because it says to us, therefore, holy brethren, you're a holy brother because of what Christ did for us. Let's think about that. You're partakers of the heavenly calling because of what he did. Let's fix our eyes on that. Therefore, I want you to consider the apostle, the sent one, and the high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. And this word consider means to fix your eyes or gaze upon. For many of you say, do you believe in Jesus? Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe in personal Savior. I've heard prayer, 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 What? Yeah, it's a sinner's prayer. Is that what you just said? We just kind of flash packs Jesus, we know it. Do you believe in the gospel? Well, I believe in the gospel. But there's something about knowing who Jesus is and knowing the gospel and fixating on the gospel so it begins to transform you and give you access to the power that's in Jesus and the power that's in the gospel. You've probably heard this story, but um, it's a true story. I think it talks about the power of, of fixating on something. They're looking at the night sky, NASA was. They set up the Hubble telescope. And there's one spot in the sky that there was literally nothing there, just blackness. And the NASA team was pretty frustrated at the head of the team who said he was going to take the camera, Hubble telescope, and stare at nothing for hours and hours, 100 hours of resources where we poured into staring at nothing. So they fixed the gaze for 100 hours on nothing. When the camera came back, here's what they saw in a spot that had nothing. Worlds were opened. Resources were opened. Things that they didn't even know were there began to come forth by gazing and fixing their gaze upon it. Well, the same guy repeated the experiment in 2020. This time they aimed at another spot in the universe. This time they left the aperture open for nine hours. And here are the photographs that NASA released. The wonder. And you miss it if you just go by. And Jesus and the gospel are the same way. You're going to miss on the power available to you to live everyday life if you just kind of breeze past Jesus, kind of breeze past the gospel, I know that, rather than fixing your eyes upon him. In fact, did you know the gospel, just the gospel itself, is so powerful that it requires us to fix our eyes on Jesus, to, to think deeply 
about how deeply you think about who Christ is and what he's done. And how deeply do you think about what you think about? I don't like to think about what I think about. But until we deeply think about what we think about, we're not going to fully have the truths of Christ wash over us and transform us. Did you know that angels in heaven have nothing better to do than all day long stare at the gospel and go, wow, he did that. Oh, it means that too. Oh, it means that too. Oh, First Peter says, those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to just stare into, man, I cannot believe what God did for those human beings. That's what angels do all day long. And I want to show you how you can fix your eyes on Jesus by what he tells us in chapter 3 about the comparison between Jesus and Moses. Before you fix your eyes on Jesus, you've got to first fix the way in which you're fixated on so many other things besides Jesus, right? It's really the idea he gets at because these Hebrews need to fix where they're currently fixated on. They're fixated on Moses, they're fixated on the law, and they're fixated on lots of lesser things. The law and lessers is where their mind goes. And they're fixated on it. So again, that verse I already read to you, but he says, I want you to fix your eyes on the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Though he was so faithful, think about how faithful he was to him who appointed him. How he obeyed God when it meant crucifixion, when it meant God himself turning his back on him. Then he mentions... He was faithful just like Moses was. Moses and he were both faithful. They're both good things. But you're so fixated on Moses, which is a lesser thing than Jesus. By fixating yourself on Moses, you're losing the power of what really matters. And until you fix what you're fixated on with Moses, you're not going to be able to fix your gaze on Jesus. You say, I don't know what it means to be fixated on something. What are you talking about here? Well, in one sense, you're already good at it. I'm already good at it. You want to know how to fixate on something? I'll give you some examples of where you're already an expert. When you worry, you fixate on what happened, and that happens, and this happens, and this happens, and this happens, and about that. You fixate it. You rehearse it over and over in your head. You nurse it over and over again. You curse that that was going to happen or that this might happen. When, when we forecast forward in a good way, well, I think based on the data this might happen and you begin to analyze and rehearse the data and over and over and make projections. When we try and control things, well, if this happens and that happens and I could do this and I could do this, but they do that, then I could do this. You're, you're fixated on it. When we plan, when we fear, just that thought gets rehearsed over and over in our head, right? When we fear... When you get angry, well, I said this, and they said that, and I should have said this, and then they would have said this, and I would have rebuttaled with that. When we sulk, poor me, have I told you what I'm going through? Probably means it's going to get worse tomorrow. You just, you're, you're fixated. And all those things you fixate on, good or bad, besides Jesus, will not bring you the power of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. So that in mind, he begins to address what they're fixated on, which is Moses. For this one was counted worthy of more glory. Meaning Moses deserves some glory, but he was a lesser thing to fixate on. Fears are legitimate. Planning's legitimate. Worrying, you know, there's legitimate things to be concerned about. But when you focus or fixate on something lesser than Jesus, 
it doesn't give you access to the power of the gospel. For this one, Jesus, has been counted worthy, more glory or weight than Moses. In what way, you say? Well, inasmuch as he built the house that has more honor than the house or tabernacle of God. So notice the more, better, more. Focus on, fixate on what's better and more weighty than the things that are less. Every house is built by somebody, he says. But he who built the, all things is God. And Moses indeed, man, let, let's face it, this is, he's a good thing. He was faithful in his house. He followed God in many ways. But he was a servant in the house. For a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards. People, we talk about the great things Moses did. But Christ was not just in the house as a servant. He was the son who owned the house. He inherited the house. He was not in the house, but over his own house, whose house we are. We've become the house of God. We've become the presence of God because of what the son did, not because of what the servant did. Moses brought us the law who showed us what our problem was, idolatry, focusing on lesser things and sin. But Jesus came not just to bring the law, but to fulfill the law so that we would be partakers and be the very presence of God as his church, as his body. So guys, if we hold fast to that confession, if you believe and fixate on that, you're going to rejoice and have hope firm to the end. Do you need more hope in your life? Fixating on worry and fear is not going to bring you a lot of hope. Fixating on Jesus and the idea that God can even work through an old Roman cross to bring about his purposes. Think about that. If God could use an old Roman cross and betrayal and bleeding and crushing to accomplish his purpose, how much more could he do it with your circumstances in your life? See that idea? Now he's talking about this house, and the house specifically here is the tabernacle of God. We're going to study a lot of this in the upcoming months. But this was the tabernacle. And so the Hebrews reading this book were obsessed with the tabernacle, which was now called the temple. It has an entrance, how you get in, and then we got to have a you know, certain sacrifice we do on the altar. We've got to make sure we wash ourselves with a brazen lever. And then we got to go over to the slaughter table, and then maybe we can get access to God's presence in the holy place. And he says, you're focused on lesser things. What do you mean, lesser things? Well, this was to point you to the greater thing. Jesus is the one entrance into God. He is the ultimate sacrifice. He is the ultimate washing Don't go back to thinking that Jesus' washing plus what you do makes you cleaner or makes you more forgivable and suddenly you're better than other people because you believe in Jesus plus you don't fill in the blank. I don't swear, I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't go with girls that do. All that stuff that we add to the gospel to make ourselves feel better than other people. And here's the idea. Think about this in three ways. I talked about this a little last week. Three categories. The Jesus is nothing category. You haven't accepted him into your life. And so you've got lots of things in your life that you're living for. Big things, small things. I'm living for reputation. I'm living for money. I'm living for security. I'm living for family. I'm living for a good marriage. You've got all these different size things in your life. But you know who's really on the throne room of your life? You. And Jesus is nothing. He's outside. So you start to live for lesser things than Jesus. And yet... When you invite Jesus into your life, for many of us, we invite Jesus into our life, but he's not everything. He's just something. He's he's, he's a little something in our life, 
But his real job is to serve us on the throne. But if Jesus, who's something, can get me more of what I really want, reputation, what I really want, which is people's approval, what I really want is a, an obedient children. If Jesus can help serve me to get what I really want, well, then I'll, I'll, I'll invite him into my life. And yes, you'll get to heaven, but we're not talking about getting to heaven. We're talking about having full access to the promises of God in your life. Jesus doesn't want to be something. He wants to be everything. And when you focus on lesser things, you can have Jesus in your life, but you still are focused on the wrong things. And you say, well, I don't relate to this because I don't focus on Moses. Yeah, but you focus on the law. I'll give you an example. I got this guy in my life who's just a bully, just a bully. And he drives me crazy, makes it hard for me to do the things I want to do, especially with Quinn. He's just a bully. And the reason he's such a bully and the reason I'm so irritated about him is because in one sense, I'm better than him. Because I don't bully, see? See, bullying's really bad, and he bullies. I don't bully, so I'm in some way more forgivable than him. I'm more likable than him. I fixate on that when I'm thinking about the bully. Now, that's my Moses. And so I actually have imagined, I've actually imagined this. Jesus on the cross, dying. He gets that final moment. Father, forgive them! What? Well, except the bully, because he's bringing inconvenience into Chad's life, and and he's really done some nasty things. And in my blood, I've only got so much blood, God. And I don't think it's going to make it to cover what the bully did. And, and it's making Chad's life a little harder. So God, forgive them, except Chad's bully, for they know not what they do. And I imagine coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I need my grace. And he's like, oh, Chad, you're a good boy. You're a really good boy. You're a pastor. How much grace do you need? And then I put out the little cup. He's like, oh, the grace that Chad Hoven needs. Bloop. That's all you need. You're such a good boy. You're so likable. Yes, Chad, great to have you in the kingdom. You're just so easy to love. doesn't take much grace to love you. And I imagine the bully showing up. Could I have more? And Jesus is like, he takes a sledgehammer out. The whole vault of grace is coming up. Just not enough. Just not enough. We really believe that we're more forgivable than others because we don't commit certain sins or don't struggle with certain things. And we get so focused on the law, the lesser things that we've added to the gospel that it leads to, like in my example, self-righteousness. Believing that God's here to serve you to make your life more convenient, right? We all do it. And Jesus wants instead for us to move to the place he's our everything. Good things like the law, good things like Moses, good thing like the tabernacle. But they are lesser things to Jesus. They pointed to Jesus. They served Jesus. And when Jesus is on the, the throne of your life, myself serves Jesus. I'm here to serve you. He's not here to serve me. So first step, we need to fix what we're currently fixated on. Moses or lesser things. Number two, we need to fix our eyes on God's efforts, not our own efforts. And he expounds upon this by referencing the Old Testament. Are you fixated on your efforts to be righteous? And you either feel shame and guilt because you didn't do well, or you feel pride and arrogance because you think you did do well. Or you fixate on God's efforts. Are you fixated on your fears because of your efforts? I can't accomplish this. I can't fix this. I can't get through this. Or God's efforts. What are you fixated on? Here's how he says it. If we hold fast the boldness, the confession, the faith 
and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, isn't that what the Bible has always said? As the Holy Spirit said in the Bible, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. And he says, when you go through times of rebellion, when you go through times of trial in the wilderness, if you feel like you're going through the wilderness right now with God, where is he? What's going on? Don't respond in disbelief. Fixate on him and deepen your belief. Don't fixate on your own efforts. By fixating on your own efforts, you will test him. We'll talk about that in a second. You will try him. We'll talk about that in a second. Even though you could have fixated on my works, what I've done. And based on what I've done in the past would give you enough faith to fixate on that to move forward with me in the future. So what is this rebellion? Well, he's referencing two things here, because remember, it's quoting Psalms, or David, the first part, and then it's also quoting or talking about a rebellion. Well, here's my Old Testament survey we've talked about before. There's a family photo of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, four generations. They end up going to Egypt. They're in Egypt for 400 years. Then Moses leads them out. And as they're headed out of Egypt in the Exodus, they come to the Promised Land. That's where we are in the rebellion. They rebel against God. They don't trust him. Why? Because they're fixated on giants and fortified cities. And they're fixated on their efforts. Well, I can't f defeat them, and I can't do that. And they're rehearsing and nursing all of their own efforts and the inability to trust God when they should have been fixated on, well, if God defeated uh, Pharaoh and all the Egyptian gods, I think he can take on Jericho. But they're not. They rebelled, not because they disobeyed some aspect of Torah, but because they didn't believe in God's effort to solve the problem. To solve forgiveness. Oh, Jesus, plus a little bit of me forgiving and not being a bully makes me acceptable. Or fear. Well, based on my resources, I can't take this on. Versus God's efforts. God can take this on. That's the idea. Now, David, years later is the quote he says from, from Psalm 95. So we have three times of kings. We have the King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. David is saying, guys, it's still a problem. You need to trust, put your confidence in, today, fixing your eyes on God's efforts, not your own. Back to the passage. So here's the questions. As you're going through wilderness times, trying times, and difficult times, are you holding fast to the confidence that Jesus is who he says he is. And God can accomplish the things he promised. Am I rejoicing in hope firm to the end that God can work through these circumstances and God, will, God is trustworthy even when it doesn't look like it? In the day of trial, remember they went through a day of trial and they were testing God. The, the Greek word here means to, to demand God prove his quality. God, I'm willing to trust you if you prove yourself. Who's on the throne? Are you focused on your efforts? Yeah, I'm going to discern whether or not, God, you're really reliable. Are you focusing on God's efforts? God is reliable, and I'm going to trust even though it's not happening the way I like. I'm going to fixate on him. In a day of trial, the 40 years of, of wilderness in your life that you may be going through, Am I trying God to see if he's real? 
The word trying is a word that means to presume God is fool's gold. I'm going to presume he's not real. He's not genuine. He's not believable. And often as a Christian, I go from Jesus is everything to I'm going through trials like the Hebrews were, and I start moving into Jesus is something. And, well, if you prove yourself, I might keep believing. If you prove yourself, I might trust in you. And I begin to drift because I'm rehearsing my doubts, rehearsing God's inadequacy to do what I think he should do. Where are you? Verse 10 says, therefore, I was angry at that generation. They always go astray. They start fixating on the wrong thing. They start believing the wrong thing. They start rehearsing the wrong thing. They go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So enter my rest. Talk about that for a second. Don't read into this, get to heaven. That's right, they weren't real Christians. That's right, they're not great getting in. We're going to find that enter your rest means to enter fully into the power of the gospel, to enter fully into the promises of God, to fully have access to everything God has for you. As a Christian, when you move from Jesus' everything to Jesus' something, you're not in his rest. You're not fully accessing all the power that comes from believing God's way is best and God is going to work through this. I'll try and prove that to you in just a second. They shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, guys, be careful here, lest there be any of you have an evil heart of unbelief. What's unbelief? You're not believing God is who he says he is. You're not believing he can do what he said he can do. And you've departed from the living God. You've departed from his way. So a stray heart of evil is one that knows and processes God's ways and chooses not to believe. Which again... When you decide that you're here to serve God, you focus on things like, wow, look at how much he sacrificed for me. Right? Look what God sacrificed for me. You're fixated on God. How can I serve you? How can I help you? I owe God for everything he did for me. Now, when you move from Jesus everything, Jesus something, you start focusing on, oh, God, you owe me. Look how obedient I am, God. You owe me good circumstances for me being such a wonderful Christian. You start focusing not on his sacrifice for you, but on your sacrifice for him. Do you know the friendships I've lost being a Christian? Do you know the things I've had to give up doing it your way? Right? I know you do that. I do that, right? I've drifted into putting myself on the throne, and now God's here to serve me, and I'm fixated on my efforts. Look how hard I worked for you, God. You owe me, and I'm mad at God because he didn't give me the, the family, the marriage, the circumstances I deserve. And the writer's saying, be careful, people. You are not entering or living in the rest of God when he's on the throne of your life. Third, what does he want from us? Like, what, Chad, you want me to fixate? What does it mean to fixate? It means to fix or focus on making your belief deeper and quicker. You might say, well, Chad, I believe in Jesus. Well, okay. How deeply do you believe in Jesus? How deeply do you believe God knows best? When you go through a wilderness, you wonder, does God still know best when he seems silent? How deep do you believe? You believe God can forgive everything until you commit a big sin. Is he still, his grace, big enough to forgive that? 
Is his grace big enough to forgive somebody who harmed you or someone you love deeply? Is his grace big enough for them? Do you believe deeply that God's way is the best? You really? Then you believe giving percentages of your income away is something you practice because you really believe it? Well, it's not you're carried away. Do you believe in praying for your enemies because Jesus commanded you to? He said that's the best way? Well, come on, not this guy. See, your problem is not belief. You don't believe deep enough and you don't believe quick enough. Often it takes me three weeks, three months, three years before I come around to God's way. What if instead we focused on, fixated on believing deeper and quicker? Look how he says it. But exhort one another. Get people around you to kind of encourage you, to, to affirm you to one another daily. You need every day someone to help you do what? Do what? To believe deeper and fixate on believing quicker. He mentions it again. While it is called today, don't wait till tomorrow, don't wait till next week, don't wait for a month from now. Today, quicker. Let's get quicker at believing and trusting God's way. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, for we have become partakers of Christ. You need to believe deeper that you're a partaker of Christ. Don't become hardened by unbelief. Oh, God's way probably doesn't work. And in general, you should probably wait to have sex till you're married. But I'm, I'm 45 and I'm, I'm single again and it's, that probably doesn't apply to me. God's way probably doesn't apply to my circumstance. Okay. You need to believe deeper that God knows best. How our monies, how our bodies, how our calendars work. If we hold the beginning of our confidence, our faith, it's all about deeper belief, right? Steadfast. Keep it steadfast to the end. Keep it deep to the end. While it is said, today, do it quicker. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart like it was in the rebellion. He references this portion again. Now he said something very interesting. He talks specifically about a rebellion, not just a rebellion of not getting into the promised land, but another rebellion that occurs during the time of wandering. For 40 years they wandered in the book of Numbers. And Numbers chapter 20. People are complaining because I don't need water. Wish we could go back to Egypt. We're so good over there. We have bananas and cucumbers. are so wonderful. We go back to Egypt. And God's like, look at all the things I've done for you. And you still don't believe in me. No. We have bananas and melons. I need some water. <laughs> they go to get some water. And Moses is just fed up with all the complaining and all the unbelief and all the frustration. And he walks up and God told him to speak to the rock, which he'd done before. But he's so mad and he's so angry at all these people and have to put up with all these things after all the sacrifices. He's 80 years old for crying out loud. Maybe by now he's been wandering longer than he might be 100 years old by now. And he comes up to the rock. And God told him to speak to the rock and he grabs a stick. Bam! He hits the rock. Water's flowing all over the place. Now, do you think Moses got to heaven? I think Moses is in heaven. But Moses never entered the promised land. This passage is not about Christians or non-Christians. It's about Christians who don't believe God's way. Yes, I can probably speak to the rock, but I really can hit the rock. And Moses will not be allowed to enter the full promises of God because he did not believe. It wasn't just he disobeyed. It's that he didn't believe God's way. He thought his angry way was better than God's speak way. That's the idea he's getting at here as you read this passage. For those who have heard rebelled, you rebel when you don't believe. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt? Everybody got to see God's works, led by Moses. 
Now, with, with whom was he angry in those 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? What does it mean to sin? It means to rebel. What does it mean to rebel? Not to believe. Whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey. What does obey mean? The Bible's going to tell us here in the context. So we see that they could not enter because they broke the seven, one of the Ten Commandments? No, because they did not believe. You don't fully enter the rest if you don't believe. Moses didn't enter into the promised land because he didn't believe. And you and I are not going to enter into the full promise of God if we do not fully believe his way is best. And fixate on believing deeper and quicker each time we're in a test or wilderness experience. So how about you? Are you like these Hebrews? Are you going through trials and difficulties? Most of us are. Are you going through a dry time in the wilderness? What are you fixated on? What are you rehearsing over and over again? What are you nursing what truths are you nursing in your life? What are you cursing because it's not serving your purposes? See, when you go through trials in your life, don't rehearse it, your fears, your worries, the ways you're keeping the law and you're somehow more acceptable than others. Don't nurse it, the law, the lessers, living for a reputation, living for money or status. Don't curse it. God, I can't believe if you really love me, you wouldn't let this happen. But do let God reverse it. That God reverse it. Focus on what he has done. Notice he's saying again, I want you to deepen your belief. Hold fast the confession. Fixate on deepening your belief. By doing what? By focusing on his efforts. Fixate on his efforts. You saw my works. I am fully capable of forgiving sins if you struggle with guilt and shame. I'm fully capable of loving you who you are if you struggle with self-concept. Throw out the self-concept. Stop believing in your self-concept. Believe in the God concept. Repent of the belief in the wrong thing, your efforts, your beauty, your whatever it is. It puts your confidence in how God sees you and what he says about you. And when you get to the edge and you see things like, whew, giants and fortified cities, and you begin to fixate and rehearse, I can't take on a giant like that. I can't take on a, a city like that. Instead, fixate and rehearse God's efforts, what he's capable of, his works, what he did already in Egypt. Think what he could do here. In fact, I know this last year, many of us have been through a lot of challenges, and it's hard not to fixate on the problems. But I want you to hear a story of my friend Mike. He lives a couple doors down from me, close to our church. He's a doctor. And I want you to see what it really looks like to change your fixation from fear to faith, to revitalize the belief that you have, but you haven't let it go deep enough yet. You haven't started doing it quick enough yet. I'd like you to hear his story together. Let's watch. By my very nature and profession in anesthesiology, we are kind of the, the uh, physicians in the background. Um, not a lot of light is shined on my profession. If we do our job well, you never know we were there. Um, to go from that to the forefront, um, and it's not something I anticipated in my career, and with COVID um, and all the people um, you see that were getting sick and dying, and they knew this was a respiratory uh, illness, 
Um, so as part of my profession, you know, doing surgery on people, more specifically placing breathing tubes in people, we are right there at the patient's, you know, head and face and aerosolized uh, virus kind of being coughed upon us as we put the breathing tube in, whether it's for a, a planned surgical procedure. But uh, in this event, it was people who could no longer breathe on their own uh, needed to have a breathing tube placed. So we were the ones called to do this. And, you know, you're seeing these frontline physicians, you know, kind of, um, you know, contracting COVID and then, you know, ending up becoming very uh, sick and or dying. Um, this really began to hit home, um, you know, looking at my life, and I was certainly, um, you know, physically not one of the most healthy, overweight and, and whatnot, but, you know, looking around and the helplessness that you see around you, that there's nothing that could be done, um, you know, no PPE available. We saw this uh, happening in our own institution where, you know, you couldn't get it, you order it, but it's, you know, so we were facing down the fact that, one, I couldn't just call into work. You know, I had to show up. I have to take care of my family. I have to, my colleagues depend on me. My patients depend on me. So it was an excuse to not go to work and face these evils and potentially dying. So I, I resigned myself um, to the fact that uh, I was going to die, one way or the other. Um, but what do you do? Spiritually, I started to pray every day, multiple times a day, the Lord's Prayer and otherwise. And... Uh, I started to look at ways that God could work through me. So with all the fear going on with COVID, my colleagues were, you know, trying to call off sick and they were apprehensive about responding to uh, emergency airways. Um, my intensive care unit colleagues were becoming burnt out. So I emailed my chair. I said, send me to the ICU. I said, my colleagues need respite. Put me on the front lines. I need to do this. So I did. So um, I would go uh, to the ICU. I mean, granted, you know, you still wear your PPE and um, take the best precautions, but I knew inside of me God had a plan. And my colleagues needed me, and it's his actions through me that gave me the confidence, brought down the anxiety. I didn't fear death, but it's what I needed to do. Really, again, it's it's a doubling down, you know. When you when you have the fear and anxiety, and it usually when you do the self reflection, it's because you think you are in control, and it's what you're doing is is actually bringing about the change. But um, when you realize that you are not the one in control, and it's actually God and what He's doing through you, I think that uh, my faith um, and, and actually re realization it never went away. Um, but realizing in times of crisis, it's even more important to um, realize that God is there at all times. I don't know if you caught all the things he said there. He said part of getting through that challenge of fear and anxiety was he began to daily, remember exhort yourself daily, focus on the Lord's Prayer, to fixate on God, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's not like he suddenly had to become a Christian again. He had to double down on his faith. Did you hear him say that? You double down. I need to believe deeper. I'm fixated on legitimate things, fear, anxiety, work, paying for bills. But I had to refocus and fixate on God. As we learned last week in the chapter, he's defeated death for us. 
doesn't mean we like death. It's a horrible enemy. Jesus came to defeat that. But it subordinates itself to the victory we have in Jesus. And for him, God used that to call Mike to say, how can I serve others because I'm no longer controlled by my fear? What did he do? He went from rehearsing fear and worry and anxiety to begin to reconnect with what has God done in the past? What can God do in the future? How do I trust him? How does he take control of my life? That's, that's what I want for you. I want you to be able to live with the power of the gospel regardless of your circumstances. If you're going through a wilderness, you double down. I'm going to hold the confidence. You're going through a time of testing. God, I'm going to trust your way is best even though it doesn't feel like it's best. And God will give you access to the rest we're going to talk about next week. The rest of the confidence of knowing he is with you and he can work in your circumstances. But it's easier said than done, right? As you saw, that's how hard it is to fixate on the right thing. So I want to pray that maybe this morning you learned some new skills, what it means to fix what I'm fixated on, what it means to fix and what God wants. Maybe you want to start asking yourself, what am I rehearsing? What am I nursing? What am I cursing? Maybe today you learned that God has an Irish accent. I'm not sure what you learned today. But I want to pray that God would just be near you and teach you how to fixate on him during this time. Let's pray together. God, we just Holy Spirit wash over us right now, Father. And maybe you'd whisper into our ear, today, today, do not harden your hearts, but trust me. Maybe you want to say, God, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Deepen my confidence in you. Deepen my belief that your, your death on the cross was enough. I repent of focusing on lesser things, thinking I'm more forgivable than other people, or thinking I'm less forgivable than other people. But God, teach me this week to rehearse faith, not fear. Teach me this week to fixate on your efforts for me on the cross and not my efforts for you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, maybe you need some prayer. We always have uh, folks in the hearth room, third door on the left, if you want some prayer. Or maybe like that verse said, exhort each other daily. You need other people in your life to help exhort you during this time. We'd love to connect you to a small group. We'd love to help get some people around you to help exhort you as you're going through a wilderness time as well. So let us know how we as a church can support you during this time. And we'll see you next week as we dive into Hebrews chapter 4. See you then.